Welcome to Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. Everyone said, Amen. Let's go before the Lord. If you have uh, your Bibles, your tablets, I want to start a new series. Uh, how many have ever uh, heard my message, my Sermon on the Mount message? So that's, that's not that many. How many have never heard it? That's probably, okay, that's probably about 80% of you. One of my hallmark messages that I did when I was at OHOP uh, that brought great, great inner healing and freedom was uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And this Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' longest lasting sermon in the New Testament. It goes from chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. And in those nuggets, in that sermon, there's key foundational things that we as Christians have used throughout the centuries. But get ready, buckle your seatbelt, because I'm about to go on a about two-month journey with you of great character development, inner healing, awakening. Come on, someone say amen. Because God is not interested in developing just your gift. He's more interested in developing your character. Because if your character is not developed, you will destroy the gift of God that he's given you. So character is much greater than gifting because anybody could have a gifting, but they're not. I've seen the, some of the most rudest people are Christians. Let me go over here and talk over here. There's more compassion with worldly people than some Christians. Christians are so judgmental sometimes. And so someone got delivered right now. See? That's right. Woo! I love you, man. Good to see you, bro. What we're going to do is we're going to dive deep into the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to give you some years of me studying this topic. And for the next two months or so, you are going to really see the kingdom of God manifested inside of you. And you're going to have deep inner healing and freedom. Can I hear an amen? My desire is for sustained freedom, not temporary freedom. A lot of people have temporary freedom and they keep coming back for freedom. God wants uh, uh, sustained freedom. So, Father, we just thank you for this time. A new series on the sermon, Jesus' most powerful sermon on the mount. Father, we're going to dive deep, Lord, together as we talk about the principles of the kingdom of God. Lord God, in this message, and I ask, Lord God, that you have our, our ears to hear. Help us to receive these words for ourselves and not just good information, that we will be transformed by the word. Anoint me, anoint the listeners in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I want you to put that first slide up, Zach, of the, of the, uh, the timeline for the Sermon on the Mount. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a really good, how many want some good teaching? We're going to give you some deep teaching the next couple of weeks. I'm going to provide some things for you. The notes are actually on the screen. Uh, get your tablets and Bibles because we are going to go through some powerful things. Now, I don't want you to tune me out. I want you to receive this as this is a, one of the most powerful realities that could be given to you is the Sermon on the Mount teaching. And so in the next, really, a couple months, we're going to talk about the Sermon on the Mount, which includes the eight Beatitudes. Most people that I talk to have no clue what the eight Beatitudes really mean. They just think, oh, bless, bless, bless. But when you dive deeply into the Beatitudes, you will realize that these things are not just happenstance that God, Jesus said. There is powerful truth in these eight Beatitudes. And we're going to probably take a whole, a whole uh, couple weeks just to go on the Beatitudes. There's an invitation to impact and greatness. How many know that it's okay to desire greatness? in the right context a lot of people well, I don't want to be great you know no no God invites you to be salt of the earth light of the world he invites you to make great impact on the kingdom so the desire in you for greatness that's like that's God that put it in you 
That's not the devil. So there's, a, there's an invitation to be great in the kingdom in the sight of the Lord. There's a difference between great, being great in the kingdom and being great in your own eyes. Okay? And then there's, there's this is going to be powerful. Six spiritual poisons that we are going to talk about in the, in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus highlights. Six major, what I call toxins of the heart that all of us struggle with, but they're, they're horrible weeds spiritually that will destroy growth in your life. And we're going to discuss that in the next couple of weeks. And then there's disciplines. A lot of people want the feel-good message, but they don't want to have discipline. Amen? I told you before, and I'll say it again. I wish we could pray a six-pack in, 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 in your stomach, but it doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. You have to be disciplined. So Jesus actually talks about disciplines. And then, of course, there's some final instructions and warnings. So Matthew chapter 5, I want you to turn there. Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to start in verse 1. And I'm going to read all the way verse 12. Because what I'm going to do first is I'm going to give you a shotgun intro to the, the Sermon on the Mount, and then I'm going to go back and explain the first beatitude in depth today, and it's going to be life-changing. Are you ready? All right, so listen, I want you to think about this. Jesus gets up there, and he's, he's uh, uh, about to, to speak his first major, uh, what I call Jesus conference, major conference. Uh, it's not his first sermon because his first, he, he had preached kind of in pockets before this, but when he had great crowds, his first shot, to be able to release to the masses, about 5,000, was in this sermon on the mountain. Why is it called the Sermon on the Mount? Because he was on a mountain. It's not really a, a spiritual thing. He was on a mountain, and he projected his voice down on the mountain. And this is his most famous sermon. So think about having 30 years or so to prepare for your greatest public message. What would it be? I mean, I, I, I would be like, you know, it has to be this home run. It's going to be something really powerful. He gets up on a mountain, and he opens up his mouth. And if you don't do the word study, you will think, oh, that's just not a big deal. But there, it is a big deal. He opens up a mouth, and look what he says. Look at chapter 1, okay? It says, and seeing a great multitude, Jesus went up to the mountain, and he, w- and he was seated with the disciples when he came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, here's the start of the Sermon on the Mount. Are you ready for this? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Third blessing, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I want you to notice that he starts his epic sermon by releasing eight specific blessings. Now, it's not what you think. Just hold on. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Okay? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Wow, that could preach right there. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I can't wait to get to that beatitude in the next couple of weeks. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, verse, next couple verses, listen. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. That doesn't make sense in the natural. I'm blessed when they talk bad about me. Yes. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward. I could preach right now on that, but I won't. The reason why people get offended easy because they're having their eyes on the wrong reward. Which reward do you want? Do you want an earthly reward or do you want a heavenly reward? Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, look at me. Now, look at me. 
I feel the Holy Spirit already. Now, he, he starts this epic Sermon on the Mount by releasing eight specific blessings on, these, uh, uh, on, on the people who evolve and mature into these realities and allow these realities to grow in them. Now, why do I say this? Because there's a couple of things that I want to share about the Sermon on the Mount before I dive back into the first beatitude. It is the largest uh, lasting sermon of Jesus. That's number one. Number two, we get epic Things like the Lord's Prayer for the first time in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. The, 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 the cost of discipleship on the Sermon on the Mount. These great Beatitudes. Why do I say that? I want you to put the first slide. The, the, the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount is like the constitution of the kingdom of God. It is the roadmap. Watch this now. I want you to write this down. For spiritual maturity, godly character, inner healing, and sustained freedom. It is the roadmap for spiritual maturity, godly character, inner healing, and sustained freedom. Uh, just like the Constitution is the greatest document of America, the, the Sermon on the Mount is known to be the, the spiritual constitution of the kingdom. In other words, if you want to know the, the, the blueprints of the kingdom of God, the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount will absolutely shape you to look like Jesus. It will. And it's, and, it's, and it's interesting because the Sermon on the Mount harps on fruit and character versus giftings. I love giftings, but hear, hear me when I say this. God wants to shape our character to look like Jesus. Because we have so many Christians in the body of Christ that operate on a gifting, but they do not act or look like Jesus at all. And sometimes to act and look like Jesus, you've got to give up certain things. Amen. And so these are the things that I want to harp on. And the, the Sermon on the Mount starts off with these eight uh, biblical blessings. Now, I want you to see something real good. I, I have a lot of information. I'm just going to explode on you, okay? <laughs> All right? So he, 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 he talks about bless are you, bless are you, bless are you. Now, the biblical definition for the word bless there is the word happy. Say happy. The Greek word for the word bless, he says blessed eight times. Okay, so you think anytime Jesus said bless more than one time or a word more than one time, he didn't, he's not, he doesn't have a stuttering problem. He's trying to emphasize something. Now he says, Bless are those who are poor in spirit. Bless are they that mourn. Bless are this, bless are this. Now the biblical idea of blessing in the Greek means happy. Are you ready for this? But the biblical view of happiness is not having a lot of things, it's having a vibrant heart towards God. So when he says, blessed are you or happy are you, when you allow yourself to become poor in spirit, what he's saying is that happiness is not because of a lot of things that you have. It's because of, the, of what happens to your heart when you allow these realities to come in there. The eight Beatitudes are like eight heavenly seeds that God wants to have you cultivate in your heart to blossom into great, gigantic, victorious living. These are eight seeds that God wants you to have. And so a lot of people base happiness on, a lot of, on what they have materialistically. But you can have a lot of things materialistically and your heart is still dull in front of God. There's nothing worse than being a Christian and having a dull spirit. An a, a, a angry, dull, boring, unconnective spirit with God. It's not God's fault. It's something that we're not willing to give up. And so Jesus says, you are happy, you are blessed when you allow these seeds to come for you. Now, if you want to really understand the, the, uh, the scriptures uh, when it comes to the beatitude, 
The Beatitudes, you have to write this down. This is very, very important. I'm giving you a foundation so you understand. The Beatitudes are progressive in nature. That means they build upon each other. That means you can't have one without the other. The Beatitudes are progressive in nature, and that means that, what, that they build upon each other to create God's full intend desire in us. Put that slide up there, Zach. The eight Beatitudes are progressive in nature. Say progressive. Come on, say progressive. They build upon each other to create God's intended desire for us. Now, why do I say that? Because it's, it, it's, it's absolutely on purpose that God starts with poor in spirit. You can't have one without the other. So in other, and for you to understand the power of the Beatitudes that Jesus is saying here, you have to understand that there's a purpose why God starts with poor in spirit. He doesn't leave poor in spirit number four. He puts poor in spirit first on purpose. They're they build upon each other. You can't have the fifth beatitude in fullness without starting with poor in spirit. And I'm, I'm, again, I'm saying that because I'm going to tell you, I'm going to dedicate the rest of my message to dive into the first beatitude and what that really means. Because half of the body of Christ has no clue what especially the first two beatitudes means. The next beatitude I'll explain next week will be powerful. The next thing you have to understand about the Beatitudes is they're not only progressive in nature. Watch this. This is key. They are not unconditional. They are conditional in nature. Now, hear me. This is going to make you be happy, hopefully. Be blessed. These realities are not unconditional. What do you mean by that? That, that means that in order for these things to truly be alive in you, you have to do something about it in order for that to take effect in your life. Now, what is the difference between unconditional and conditional? What, give me some things that are unconditional in the kingdom of God. The love of God, right? In other words, unconditional means you don't have to do anything and it happens automatically. The love of God says, I will love you when you spit at me in your face. The love of God says, you don't have to do anything more to get me to love you. The mercy of God is the same thing. My mercy endures forever. Come on, say amen. So there's things that you don't have to do anything about, and it's still automatic, and God, God's love is over there, God's mercy. But there are some things in the kingdom that will not happen unless you first position yourself to adopt them into your life. You, you know one of the things that are conditional? Sowing and reaping. You can't reap where you don't have sowed. So it's not unconditional. You have, whatever you reap, you will sow. If you, reap, if you sow anger, you're going to reap anger. If you sow money uh, to good ground, you're going to reap, reap money. Now, the eight Beatitudes are not unconditional. They don't happen automatically. If they did, then Jesus would not say, blessed are you if you're poor in spirit. Blessed are those who become this. Because then that means every Christian would be, be automatically living in these realities. And that is not the case. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're walking in the revelation of being poor in spirit. Now, what is the first beatitude? Now, I want you to really take notes here because I want to give you a lot, of, a, a lot of information today, but I want you to see why this is se- uh, said. So the first beatitude is poor in spirit. You go back to verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Say that with me. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what you need to understand is, first let's talk about what poor in spirit is not. Poor in spirit is not being poor in the sense of financially. A lot of people think, you know what, I just need to be poor and broke and busted and disgusted, and I'm going to be blessed, and God calls me blessed. No, that is not what God is saying here. 
Does God bless the condition of the poor because in their condition they're still serving God? Yes, but you, are, you don't have a special blessing because you're broke. Thank you for that two amens back there. So he's not talking about you're blessed when you're poor. Can I just be honest? Because a poverty mentality is slavery. There is no blessing in being poor. That doesn't, that doesn't mean God loves you less. It doesn't mean God loves you more. But it doesn't mean that you're extra blessed because you have no money. That's not what he's saying. Neither does it mean, being poor in spirit does not mean that you're low as your self-esteem, like, like you're the worst of the earth and condemnation, and I am so bad. No. But what it does mean, are you ready for this? This is going to set you free. And it's going to rub some of you the wrong way who are not poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, the correct definition of poor in spirit is an acknowledgement and a recognition that you and I are spiritually bankrupt to produce any godliness inside of us other than the goodness of God. It's the revelation. It has to be by revelation. It's the acknowledgement. Put that slide up, Zach. Come on, baby. Being poor in spirit means that you recognize and acknowledge that you are spiritually bankrupt to produce, watch this, any goodness or godliness in your own strength. Guys, you may not think that's happy, but that is revelatory. When you finally get to the point where you, you realize that you're not all that in a bag of chips, then revival is going to start happening in your life. When you realize that you don't deserve anything, that you, when you realize that your own goodness didn't take you anywhere, that your own morality can't earn your spot to heaven, because if it did, we wouldn't need Jesus' sacrifice. When we, we, we realize that we are spiritually bankrupt of any godliness inside of us, other than the godliness of God and the holiness of God, then we are on our way to victorious living. Amen. That's why God says the first beatitude is you need to be blessed. You are blessed if you are poor in spirit. In other words, when you strip yourself from the acknowledgement of your own strength and efforts. When you strip yourself, and what does that do? The beautiful thing that that does is it, 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 being poor in spirit acknowledges that you don't have your own strength to get the victory. So what it produces is it takes you from independence to dependence. Listen, I love independence, but if your independence says I don't need God in any area of your life, I could do it on my own, then that is not poor in spirit. Poor in spirit says it doesn't matter because abilities come from the Lord, favor comes from the Lord, promotion comes from the Lord, talent comes from the Lord. If you don't know that, you're going to think your own strength made it there. And what, what, what poor in spirit does to you is eliminate pride and birth humility in you. It, 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 it strips arrogance from you and causes you to be totally dependent on the, on the nature of God for your victory. He says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit when you realize you are bankrupt. We got a lot of cocky Christians and arrogant Christians. I know some of, that's thing. Some of you may have felt that. But here's the thing, my own strength, look what I could do. And we don't say it with our mouth, but we say it with our actions. But what poor in spirit does, it sets the ground to, ca to cause us to remain in humility. Listen, all throughout the scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament talks about the being poor in spirit. I'll, I'll tell you what, remember Isaiah? We won't turn there. But the prophet, righteous prophet Isaiah said, our righteousness is as, come on theologians, as what? Filthy rags. Fil filthy rags. 
This is the, this is the, this is the prophet, holy prophet Isaiah. He says, our righteousness and our own strength is compared to filthy rags, compared to our true nature. Now, this is not, not, this is not a condemnation message. I promise you it's not. How about, how about in the New Testament? John, John the Baptist had a nationwide ministry. His ministry was exploding. And he goes, hey, guys, I'm not the guy. I'm not, I know you see me baptizing people, but I'm not the one. There's one coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to strap. And, he, and I, I baptize you in water, but he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit in fire. That's what he said. Hey, 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 don't don't look at me. Don't look at me. I know I have a national ministry. And when he saw Jesus come on the scene, you know what John the Baptist said? I must decrease and he must increase. That's a revelation of being poor in spirit, acknowledging that you are not the one that is going to be exalted in your life. It is the Lord's going to be exalted. And when you do, then he'll exalt you. Being poor in spirit is not beating yourself up with shame and condemnation. It's a realization that we are bankrupt of of any goodness in us other than God, which means we need to trust God and depend on God with all our hearts. Come on, say amen. And, And it produces and it strips away pride. Poor in spirit is this reality. And I, and I know I love this. I'm going to give you a scripture in Isaiah. Have you ever had the answers to a test, maybe by mistake, and, and the teacher gave you the wrong key? I remember when I was a little, a little boy, and I, and I wasn't saved back then, Ralph, so don't, all right. And, I, and the teacher handed, handed out tests and by mistake handed me the answer key. And I was like, <laughs> I knew something was wrong, but I didn't say anything because I'm like, I got the answers. I, I see the answers before the test is given. Don't make me preach right now. So I know the answers before the, the test is given. So obviously, you know, she's looking for it. So they gave the test out, and I got 100 ace because I saw the answers before the test was given. All right? I later, I later kind of got caught and found out that I had the answer key. Well, that's a whole other topic, a whole other story. But if you had the answers, watch. Before the test is given, don't you think you'll be more successful when the exam actually comes? The Lord gives us the answers to the exam of life in Scripture before it even happens. And it has to do with being poor in spirit. Watch. I can't fathom anything that God looks at with awe. Because if anything, we look at God with awe. You know, the Bible says, the Bible says in, uh, in Psalms that David said, when I consider the stars, and I consider the moon, and I consider all these things, who is man that you are mindful of him? Right? And I think, and, and, and so what does God look like? I mean, God, what does God look at? Could you imagine that there's something, there's an attribute in, uh, in us that causes God to say, whoa, I want to stop and look at that because it's rare in humanity. And you know that one of those attributes is being poor in spirit. Are you ready for this? Look at the answer to the test. Isaiah chapter 66. Look at the answer to the text of of life. Are you ready for this? Thus says the Lord. Man, I am preaching good this morning. Glory to God. Come on, man. Look, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne. Now, this is God talking. Heaven is my throne. Right? Imagine this. The earth is my footstool. So God is saying, heaven is my throne. The earth is... Earth is my footstool, right? Where is the house that you will build for me? 
And where is the place of my rest? Pretty good point, right? If I own everything, where's my house, right? But watch this. For all these things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord, but on this one I will look. Oh, glory to God. Here is the answer. I'm going to look at this one. I mean, I, I own the earth. I, 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 the earth is my footstool, but something draws my attention, says the Lord. On those I will look on him who is poor and contrite in spirit and he who trembles at my word. I'm going to look on something that answers to the test of what my eyes gaze on. I, a lot of things don't impress me, but when I see an individual who has a poor and contrite spirit and trembles at my word, my eyes are on those people. You have to understand that it was pride that kicked Lucifer out of heaven. It was him looking at himself, how great he was, that allowed himself to be kicked out. You have to maintain this culture. You want character building? You need to start with saying, God, make me poor in spirit. A realization that I'm nothing without you. And you have to be careful when you start getting blown up in your business, blown up in ministry. Come on, let me preach. Blown up in your friendship, blown up in your, in, your, in your money, your status. Because that is the time when the enemy tries to come in and sneak and tries to make you forget that you did not start that way. It will, it will cause you to not be poor in spirit and not depend on God anymore because now you are working 70 hours a week and it's your hard work in doing it. Yes, it is your hard work doing it, but it's God who opened those doors for you to do it. And you have to see it that way or you will, your heart will be puffed up. And so, so, so he, he gave us the answers to the exam. He said, I will look upon those who are contrite in heart and poor in spirit and, I, and the one who trembles at my word. I look at those people. Yes, he looks at all of us, but intently he searches for these characteristics. That's why we need to allow the seed of this beatitude to be developed in us. Reminding ourselves always that this is a key. One of the greatest examples in the New Testament of being poor in spirit is found in Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Are you getting something this morning? Luke chapter 18, verse 9 is one of the best examples. Man, when I read this scripture years ago, I started weeping because I saw such reality in this. I want you to see uh, an example of when Jesus walked on the earth. What he actually, watch this, what moved him, right? There's a couple things that moved Jesus. Faith moved him. But then there was an acknowledgement of who we are versus who he is. Do you understand? Placing ourselves in the right posture before uh, the Lord. And so Luke 18 verse 9 says this. Jesus spoke this parable to some, oh my, 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 look at this, to some who trusted in themselves. Surely we have nobody that does that at the church. He spoke a parable to some who trusted in themselves. What does trusting in yourself mean in 2018 language? It doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean this. I don't need you, God. That's, that's pretty obvious. That's not what that means. It's, you know what, I don't, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to go to church attendance. I got this. I, mean, I, got, I have my own relationship with the Lord. You know how many times I hear that? Yeah, you don't need to go to church to get saved, but you do need fellowship to keep you accountable. And you do need fellowship to help you walk uh, in, in victory. You, we need each other. So that religious answer like, well, I just pray at my house all day and I'm by myself, that's not going to fly. 
So that's that. That's how you trust in your own self, your own your own interpretation, right? He who sp- he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were watch this righteous. See, like I, I you know, I'm, I'm, my my walk with God is good. I don't need it. I don't need to go. To, I don't need to tithe. I don't need to do all that. God knows my heart. Oh my God, I have a dollar for every time I heard that. God knows my heart. Yeah, He knows your heart is wrong. <laughs> you need to go back. Who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Now watch. Two men went up to the temple. He, he loves giving stories. He, they went up to the temple to pray. He's sharing a story now. And one Pharisee, religious leader, like modern day church leader, and another one was a tax collector. So here you guys have a story. have this one religious leader in a church, all like, you know, I know the scriptures, I fast, and I'm good. I don't need to do all that. And then there's one tax collector who's known to be like just a sinner, right? Now I want you to see what Jesus said. The Pharisee stood and prayed, God, I thank thee that I am not like these other men, extortioners and unjust adulterers and even this tax collector, every time I, I feel like that way, I'm no, no knock on that. that uh. He says, I thank you that I am not like, look, look at this prayer. <laughs> God, I thank you that I'm not like this guy. Let, let's, let's, let's modernize it in 2018. Lord, thank God I'm not, not, I'm not like those homeless people out there right now that really bother you sometimes. Lord, thank God that I'm not like one of those drug addicts working on the, in the street. Like, at least I'm, I'm serving you, Lord. I thank, you know my heart, Lord. So he's like, God, I thank you. This is the Pharisee praying. I'm not like this other man. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even tax collector. Look at me, look at me. Was what he was saying true? Yes. But his heart was wrong. Do you know that you can say the right thing and your heart be wrong? Don't let me drop the mic. Don't let me drop the mic. Do you know that you could say the right thing and be in the wrong spirit? You could actually say accurate information and your whole time you're saying it, you're filled with pride. God says do it over again. So I, watch this, I fast twice a week. That was true. The Pharisees fasted. So he's, he's exalting himself. I fast twice a week. I give tithe. All that was true. It wasn't a lie. They, he did all that. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me. He knew there was a holy man there, Jesus. God, I can't even look at you. Be merciful to me, a sinner. He acknowledged his condition. Watch, watch, watch this. Watch what the Lord says. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, went down to his house more justified than the other. Watch this. Are you ready for this? This this poor spirit. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled, and everyone who humbles themselves will be exalted. I have news for you. There's two ways to come through the path of being poor in spirit and humility. Either you are resisting, then God, by his love, humbles you, or you choose to humble yourself. And when you humble yourself and you have a revelation that you're bankrupt of anything good inside of you other than God, it will make you more thankful to him. Yes, it will. It will make you thankful. You know how many times I get up and I look at this building and I say, I still don't believe I have this building. It produces thankfulness because I know I'm not that smart. Amen. (laughs) So I know my pastor, he ain't ain't smart at all, glory to God. It had to be God. (laughs) 
I got more amens on that one than other, other stuff. Sure enough, true enough, sir. But listen, I wake up and I, I, I can't believe it. You know what it does? It's so bigger than me that it causes me to remember where I came from. It's, it's God. It's the Lord. And because I've humbled myself, realized I don't deserve this, he's given it to us. Glory to God. Listen, poor in spirit does not mean false humility either. You know what false humility is? This is overly neglecting things that God has want to tell you all in the name of humility. That's just highlighting humility, which is another form of pride. Lord wants to give you a brand new. No, 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 no. I don't deserve the blessing of the Lord. No. Or, or you know what? Your message really touched me. Your, your music changed my life. No, no, no. An angel opened my mouth and, did, and, and caused me to sing that. It wasn't me at all. It wasn't me. It was just the Lord. It was the Lord. It was you. But the Lord works through you. But here's the thing. False humility is just another form of pride. So if God wants to bring you something, it's receive it. So, so poor in spirit is not false humility. Poor in spirit produces true humility. Come on, say amen. Because we know where promotion comes from. If you really walk in poor in spirit, listen, everything that happens to you, you will be thankful to the Lord for. Even the bad things. I didn't get a lot of amens, but it's okay. It will, listen, the most dangerous reality in our lives is that when we think we've arrived, that we no longer need certain things from the Lord anymore. When we think our maturity has gotten us to a place that we start neglecting our Bible reading time, our prayer time, and yet we still love God. But we, we neglect it because we've gone to a place that we sustain ourselves with that level. And now we're operating on yesterday's manna and gifting instead of character and revelation fresh every day. Remember Isaiah? Remember, remember the book of Isaiah? Isaiah comes, and he comes again. Watch this. And I want you to see this. Because poor in spirit, I want you to see, put this next slide up, Zach. Poor in spirit has nothing to do with condemnation or shame. Oh, this is powerful. It has everything to do with how we view ourselves after we've seen the, God's nature and holiness. I'm going to read that again. Poor in spirit has nothing to do with condemnation or shame. You're saying, look, I feel, sh- I, don't, I, don't, I don't need to be shameful. No, 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 no. That's not what it is. It's how you view yourself after you view the holiness of God. Now watch. How many could agree that the prophet Isaiah in his life was a mighty, accurate prophet? How many agree with that? How many know that he was not a sinner? Okay, when he, when he wrote the, 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 the scroll, the scripture in Isaiah. Isaiah was so uh, accurate that he actually, out of all the prophets, he actually named the virgin birth. He, in Isaiah chapter 9, he actually prophesied to the T what would happen, how Jesus would come. Yet I want you to see how this mighty prophet reacted when he saw the glory of God and how he viewed himself. It anchored him. See, being poor in spirit, well, you, know, you know why it's first? Because it anchors you to be able to receive everything else. Watch this. If you're not poor in spirit, you'll be, you won't be able to receive all the blessings that God has in store for you. Because you'll be puffed up. And you'll be able to handle it. So poor in spirit anchors you. It's not going to get a lot of amens to this one. Now look at Isaiah chapter 6. I want the worship team to make your way up here, please. If, our, if the worship team can come up. Glory to God. Are you guys getting something? Poor in spirit has nothing to do with condemnation. Say condemnation or shame. 
Now look at Isaiah chapter 6, and I want you to see verse 1 through 5. Now this to me is powerful. How many are getting something this morning? Now look at this. This is Isaiah, the prophet. The prophet, Isaiah. And look what he says. Okay, look what he says in, in, in this context of being poor in spirit. All right? We're talking about the first beatitude of blessed are the poor in spirit. Remember, they're progressive. It's the greatest sermon in the New Testament is this, is this Sermon on the Mount. So he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now watch this. In the year that King Uzziah died. Now this is Isaiah talking. I saw the Lord in a vision, okay, sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In other words, he's seeing this majestic image right now. He's in the temple, and he's looking up, and he sees this open vision. This is Isaiah. And he sees the Lord high and lifted up. He's seating on a throne, and his, 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 the glory of his temple is filling the whole temple, right? So he's seeing this, all right? You would think, like most millennials now, they would be Snapchatting it or YouTubing it. Look at the glory of God. Oh, my God. OMG, look at that. The glory of God. I see the Lord. Click, click, click. And put it on Twitter. Put it on Facebook. Put it on Instagram. Isaiah, watch this. He saw this. I want you to see his reaction. Glory to God. Above it stood seraphim, angel. Each one had six wings. Now look at the angels. You would think, look at the majest the majesty of God that even the angels had to cover their eyes. With two, he covered his face, the angels. With two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. So this seraphim is an angelic being in heaven that has six wings, and he saw these, this angelic being. And, and one, so he's hearing a conversation. Could you imagine God opening up your spirit to hear a conversation in heaven? He's seeing this. He's going, whoa. And he said, one, these angels cried to another. Watch this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah heard the angel say that. Isaiah heard holy. What did that sound like? I don't know. He heard holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord. <laughs> the angels are singing this, there, and, and their wings are covering their, their eyes. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of Him who cried out. So where Isaiah was, the whole place was being shaken. It wasn't a, 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 a casual moment. Who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke when he saw this vision. Now, watch what this righteous, anointed, accurate prophet of the Lord reacted. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. What are you talking about, Isaiah? You're a prophet. You're a righteous prophet. Why are you saying I'm unclean? Not because of condemnation. It's because it, he finally saw the Lord. Watch this. And I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. Are you ready for this? For my eyes have seen the King. The Lord of hosts, when you get an encounter with the holiness of God, you won't think too highly of yourself. And I'm not saying that in condemnation. I'm saying in the right order so that you could humble yourself and realize he needs to be Lord, not me. He needs to take first place, not me. Because we have a very shallow view of God's glory. We have a very shallow view of God's holiness in the church. 
And the reason why I know is because his grace is so abundant and his mercy is so abundant that we forget that he's still holy. And so we just keep on sinning. We keep on doing it because he's merciful. And we don't have a fear of the Lord knowing that, you know what? One of these times, things could really open up for me in a wrong way. If I keep going, this, you know what's dangerous with pride is that you stop hearing the conviction voice of the Lord. Pride will convince you that you don't need to change. I'm okay. I got this. As, you know, as a matter of fact, I will say this in my last scripture. One of the things that Jesus said in the book of Revelation, he actually hints to the root of lukewarmness. I, I, never, I never said this at all at, at RCC. I don't even think I said it in the classes that I did before. But Jesus basically calls out the root for being lukewarm. Lukewarm mean, means, means you have one foot in the world, one foot with God. And you're totally deceived saying, you know what? I'm just going to do whatever I want, how I want it. And you know what? God is still going to bless me. Why do we think that for God when we don't even think that for our spouse? We act like, oh, that's too, that's too rough. But you don't even desire that for your spouse. You, just, you, don't want, you don't say it's crazy for your spouse to think that you could sleep with other people and then have all the benefits from your spouse. You'd be like, even I don't believe that. Well, how much more God? So watch. We have to get to the point where it's not our abilities that get us there. Being poor in spirit strips us from arrogance, strips us from, your, from your, the strength of your, of your flesh. It strips you from having a right to be right. Let me give you an example. I ain't going to forgive that person. They're the one who cut me off. They're the one who let me off. Listen, I'm going to say something right now. I want to be very vulnerable, very transparent. It's not in my notes. Here's what poor spirit does. It it gets you to a place to be really obedient to God when doing tough things, like confronting people. You know that when you're low and you're humbling yourself, God's going to make sure that he rewards you. Can I hear an amen? I have a family member that I haven't spoken to for a year. They cut me off. And in prayer on Tuesday... We all prayed, remember PK. And PK was there and he said, man, I, I, it was powerful. We were crying, we were weeping. Something about prayer that transforms your heart, man. And I said, you know what? I, 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 I felt like the Lord said, if you do, if you do this, you're going to get a, a sharp response back. But I didn't care anymore. I'm like, I'd rather be obedient to God than to be afraid of a consequence for being obedient. Come on, say amen. Sometimes you're going to be obedient to God and I feel this from the Lord. And, you, and it's the, the response is not going to be what you want. But God's going like this. Just because someone doesn't respond the right way when you're being obedient to God doesn't mean you're disobedient. So PK said, man, I really feel in Tuesday night prayer, we need to get in groups of three. And we all have groups of three. Go up to my friend Andres was there and all that. And we were praying. And I, and I opened up to them. As a senior pastor, I said, guys, I have a you know, situation in certain certain." person that it hasn't, you know, that cut me off, I'm going to call. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach out to them. And I, and I said, uh, I, I don't think it's going to go well, but I'm still going to do it. I don't care. It was so powerful. See, being poor in spirit will have you execute things that you would not do if you were prideful. Knowing the result may not be good in the flesh, but the result in the spirit is always good. And sure enough, I texted this person afterwards for the first time in many years, and I reached out and I said, you know, I just let's, let's start over. Let's, let's, let's do this this thing and the, the response was not good but it's okay it wasn't what I what I prayed for but my heart was free why why 
because of the fact that I came to a point where like it doesn't matter what the other person does. I'm going to be poor. I'm going to be poor in spirit. I'm going to humble myself and God is going to exalt me in his due time. He's going to promote me. He's going to make sure my heart, see my heart is free. But if you're waiting on somebody else to get it right before you execute God's commands, you may never do it. Being poor in spirit is realizing that you need to take responsibility of yourself. Now I'm going to leave you with this last scripture. In Revelation chapter 3, I, I, was, I was kind of afraid of this message because this is not a raw, raw type of message. But if it gets your heart right, that's what I care. You know what I used to tell the youth when I was a youth pastor? I said, you may, you may dislike me here on earth, but you're going to love me in heaven. They're going to be like, PG, you were right, man. I'm sorry. It's all right. Go into the joy of the Lord. I mean, I won't, I won't say that. But... What I mean by that is I'd rather you be like, why are you, why are you calling me to repentance? Why, why are you saying that? Give me good messages. That is the good message. It's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Because if we don't, if we don't preach the truth, then we're just going to masquerade it with all these other fluffy things that don't make sense. So, Revelation chapter 3, last scripture. Oh, I feel the Lord. I feel the Lord doing something in you. Consider the opposite effect of being poor in spirit. Being rich in spirit. I'm not saying being rich in spirit because you have the Lord. All of us are rich in spirit because we have the Lord. I'm saying rich in spirit meaning I don't need anything. I don't need, I don't need this. I really don't need church. I really need this because I love God in my own way. Imagine what that would do the opposite effect. If being poor in spirit is, is healthy, look at the root of Jesus saying the church in Laodicea was lukewarm. But look at the trait that, now, now watch, he's not talking to only people here. He's talking to the church. He wrote seven letters to real churches in the book of Revelations, and he described their church. Could you imagine Jesus sending a, a, a letter from heaven just to RCC about the condition of RCC? And he sent it to me. He's <laughs> like, here it is. Here's what's really happening behind the scenes. Hopefully it'll be good. So he wrote a letter to a church in Revelations 3. Look at this. Let's go to verse 14. Go back to verse 14. Revelations 3, verse 14. And, the, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write these things. Says the amen, the faithful and the true witness. The beginning, this is Jesus talking. Okay. The creation of God. Look at, look at verse 15. I know your works. So he's saying to this church, I know your works. That you're neither cold nor hot. Now look at Jesus here. I wish that you were cold or hot. Wait, stop. I used to start, wait, wait, wait. You wish that you were either cold, like cold means you don't even know the Lord at all, or hot that you're really pursuing God. But you, you wish that we were either cold or hot, not in between? Yes, because God says, if I don't have all of you, I don't want any of you. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Again, you do not want 50% of your spouse. If your spouse says, hey, love me 50% and allow me to love other lovers 50%, you're not going to love them fully. No. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. Watch this. So then, this is an ouch moment. I didn't write this, so don't throw apples at me. Because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out my mouth. 
because, watch this, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, not, not, not just financially, I'm talking about, I got a good church, I got a good programs in my church, he's talking to the church here, I got it all together, we do programs in my church, we do outreaches in my church, we don't need, it's like a system, it keeps going, we feed the poor, we, we have good preaching, look, we're wealthy, and I have need of nothing, and do not know, Jesus said, you do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. It strips you from the true condition. When churches become very strong, we forget. We just open up into program after program, great worship after great worship, great event after great event, and we think we got it all. And Jesus says, you think you are rich because you have all these things happening in your church, but you're lukewarm. And God doesn't want lukewarm. He wants hot. When you get ready to eat a meal at night and you want some steak, you don't want cold steak. You want a hot meal. Let me tell you something. Being poor in spirit, and I'm going to read it and then I'm going to, to, to end with prayer. Because I know this is cutting us. And let me tell you, I don't apologize anymore. I'm going to read this quote. Poor in spirit reveals that we can't lean on our heritage our family, or anything about ourselves. Poor in spirit reveals that it's not about our abilities, our intellect, our experience, or our abilities, our accomplishments. Poor in spirit reveals that it's not about our position, or power, or our influence that makes us stand. Poor in spirit reveals that it's not about our education. Some of us have great degrees. It's not about our education or wealth. God thanks God for that. Trust me, he thanks God for that. But he does not want that to replace your dependence on him. Look at this one. I put an asterisk on this one. Porn spirit reveals that it's not about our own morality or good conduct in the natural. Because there there's good people out there that don't know the Lord. But that in itself does not does not make a, it a need for us to not search for the Lord or depend on the Lord. It's not our morals, our conduct, or our behavior. Though God may choose to use all or none of these things, the man who is poor in spirit sees only God and not himself. Today, I want us to pray that we become poor in spirit. That first beatitude that he says, Bless are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That we come and contend before God, that we say, Lord, here's my arrogance, here's my pride. Here's my self-righteousness, and I want to start by being poor in spirit so it, I could strip all of my dependency on my own strength and truly acknowledge that I need the Lord. Come on, stand up. Stand up. Come on, I want you all right now to close your eyes. The worship team is going to worship the Lord, but this is a call for humility. This is a call to say, God, I want character. See, this is about character. I want the character of being poor in spirit. I, have the, I want to have the character. God says, you are blessed when you position yourself to be poor in spirit. You are blessed when you acknowledge that you're bankrupt of anything good other than the goodness of God. You are blessed when you acknowledge my need for you. You are blessed when you acknowledge that you humble yourself and not base yourself on your own strength and your ability. Come on, close your eyes and just lift up your hands if you can. 
Thank you for tuning into our podcast. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.